Bibles, and there's just so much about that that we don't understand, and, uh, and yet we look at Scripture, and yeah, they're very real beings, but um, so much about it that that is beyond us, uh, beyond what God has told us. <clears throat> The title of my message this morning is The Narrow Way, taken from Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Uh, I'll be spending most of my time uh, in Matthew 7. I'll read a few other verses, but uh, most of my time will be spent in that chapter if you want to turn there. <clears throat> Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Our Sunday school lesson had, had some verses there that... Uh, in the men's class, we didn't, we didn't get there, uh, there in Hebrews 2, but, um, and I hadn't really connected that to this when I, when I started my message. Uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was Tuesday, I think it was maybe Tuesday. I had contemplated this for some time, but uh, it was either Tuesday night or Wednesday night. I lay in bed for quite a while, and this message came. Um, it was awake in... Uh, and so, I just felt pressed in my spirit to share that. Um, but as I thought about the verses that that we uh, that we didn't cover in the in the Sunday school lesson, verse three especially, but the previous verses kind of lead up to it. But he says, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord?" and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And so he's, he's challenging us with a thought of how, how do we escape if we neglect salvation today? <clears throat> you know, this, this chapter is, in, or these verses, I believe, have been taken out of context many times, and I've heard it taught this way. Um, but I want to look at the context of what this is really telling us. Um, and, and as we look at uh, what comes before and what comes after these two verses, and we take it into context, um, you know, it has often been taught that, you know, the broad way, there's all these people out there, the movie stars, and, and you can go down the list. That's, that's who's on the broad way, but that's not what he's really telling us. If we really look at what he's saying, he's saying, the ones that go to church, wake up. This is talking about you. Um, <clears throat> think about what he says. Before that, if we go back into chapter 5, he starts out by teaching us 
the thought of, the Beatitudes, a way of life. This is what your life looks like in Christ. And then he talks about the salt, the light, uh, Christ fulfilling the law. We couldn't fulfill the law. If we could have fulfilled the law, Christ wouldn't have come. We couldn't do it. And then there's anger. You know, that's that feeling that comes up within us at times. And, uh, you know, it's when those feelings come, uh, those are things that we need to take to God and ask for forgiveness. Um, we can't overcome those ideas and feelings on our own. We need His forgiveness uh, for those things. Then there's lust, there's divorce, the taking of oaths, retaliation, love your enemies. So these are things that he taught there in chapter 5. In, verse, in chapter 6, he goes on, talks about the giving of alms and, and prayer and fasting, a treasure in heaven. Then he talks about trust and not being anxious. And in chapter 7, he starts out by judge not and, and the encouragement to seek God. And, uh, and then verse 12 talks about the golden rule. And so we have a picture here in, in, the, in chapter 5, chapter 6, and the first half of chapter 7, this is what the Christian life looks like. Now, is this the Christian life? This is how it works out by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, a lot of people can sort of imitate, you can sort of imitate this to a certain extent, um, Obviously, some of these things don't come, can't, it, if it's not in your heart, it's, it's, it's not going to be there. But, but we get a picture of when Christ is involved, when Christ is the center of what is going on in our life, he's saying, this is how your life is going to look. And so... If this is what our life is to look like, it can only happen in one way, and that is when Christ abides in our heart. And so, if we come, if we come at it from that context in, um, of the idea that, okay, these two verses are not talking about all those people out there that, are, that we already know are lost, He's saying, the people in the church, you need to wake up. You need to see yourself. You need to see your own heart. But the thing that makes this verse so, so serious to us is, he says, the broad way leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. So he's telling us a lot of churchgoers are going to hell. That is what he's telling us there. And, and so he just makes it become a, a much more personal thing when we think of it from that angle. He's, he's not saying all the movie stars are going to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's talking to us. He's talking to people who are going to church. Jesus said in, in, verse, in John 14, verse 6, he says, um, Jesus saith unto him, talking to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so he's, he's pointing to himself as the way. So 
we could, we could look at this verse and say, the straight gate. He mentions the straight gate twice in those two verses. That's the first thing he says. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Verse 14, because the straight is the gate. Now he words it a little bit differently, but he basically says the same thing. <clears throat> so he's, he's saying the gate is narrow. Uh, a, a straight gate, a small gate. And, and I once heard a brother say, when you enter into that straight gate, it's so narrow it scrapes all the flesh off on the way in. And when you're on the other side, you will have the Spirit of God and he begins to renew your mind and, and your heart and your life. <clears throat> There's a lot of truth to that statement. If we're hanging on to the flesh, the flesh and the Spirit of God, they, contra they conflict. There, there's just a, uh, an ongoing conflict there. But we know that the flesh wants to rise up and it wants to have its way. It wants to feel good. Um, and so, you know, modern, uh, modern Christianity, Christianity in America would like to read verse 14 like this, because straight is the gate and wide is the way which leadeth unto life, and many there be which find it. That's how modern Christianity would like to read that verse. And why is it that way? Well, think about, think about it this way. <clears throat> this, is, this happens a lot. So, so we have a five-year-old Sunday school class. And, and the teacher says, how many of you want to go to heaven? All the hands go up. How many of you want to love Jesus? All the hands go up. Why not? Well, then let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Forgive my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. You're on your way to heaven. Did they understand what happened? Well, no. But they look back at that and say, well, I, changed, I, I repented back there when I was five years old in that Sunday school class. They have no need. The need disappeared because they became a Christian a long time ago. I took care of that way back there. But did they really? I don't think so. I think we have to understand that this type of teaching is it's very prevalent, but in a sense, it inoculates to the, you to the idea that I have a need. You, you are now, you are, you've been saved for all these years. Well, it doesn't matter how you live. So, in essence, we could say, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, I was saved when I was five years old, so it doesn't, oh, I guess I'm okay. But how does it play out in your life? How does it play out in that person's life? There's where the question comes. <clears throat> and so sometimes we hear a term that goes like this, well, he's a carnal Christian. But I don't think there is such a thing. Now, there's different places. That we, we, we're all at a different stage in life when it comes to our walk with God. We're not at the same place. That's, that's okay. That's the way God made us. Uh, that wasn't our choice. 
But to, to say that there is a carnal Christian, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. You either are a Christian or you are not. You are not a carnal Christian. So if you hear that phrase, that's not true. That doesn't happen. That's not who God is. God changes our heart, and he puts his spirit within us, and his spirit and the carnal way of life don't mix. There is no such thing. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people, when we think about the broad way and the narrow way and how it is, has become a confused idea on our day, there's a lot of confusion, and people are confused about what this is all about and what it looks like. Um, <clears throat> you know, people who claim to know God, they live like the world, and they talk like the world, they act like the world, they go where the world goes, so did anything change? It didn't change. The scripture says, come out from among them, be separate, touch not the unclean thing. That's where he's going, that's what he's telling us. Um, and, he's, and, so, and so there has to be a change. Something has to happen in our lives. And if it's not happening in our lives, if it's not changing us, if the word of God isn't changing us and the spirit of God isn't there and speaking to us, it's because we're dull of hearing. We're not wanting to hear what he has to say. We're not wanting to change. You know, if we, if we can make it through a month and we have nothing to confess to the Lord, we're not hearing his voice. Uh, it, it's, it's just that simple. You know, when, when the spirit of God is in our hearts, we understand, Lord, it, this morning I prayed, uh, forgive me for the pride in my heart that I saw. Uh, it was it, it, so it was just it was things come to us that we have to listen to God. If we're not hearing his voice, if we're not allowing him to speak to us, nothing changes and it makes no difference. Um, but when he's there, if if we're if the spirit of God is there, people can look at us and say, yes, that man, that woman, they love the Lord Jesus. They're sold out to him and they want to live for him. They want to do what he wants to do and what he wants to make of them. <clears throat> and so, are we sold out? <clears throat> or do we still love the things of this world? You know, all the comforts that America has to offer us, we like them. Um, I'm not saying they're all wrong, that's, that's not what I'm saying, but uh, you know, we can go there so quickly. Uh, we like have it nice and easy. We don't want to offend people because, well, if I talk to them about sin, they might be offended. Okay? But the Word of God is there to offend the sinner. That's what it is. It does. It offends people. Why? Because there's darkness. Darkness and light don't mix, and the, tr the truth is full of light. And so there becomes that conflict. Um, and it becomes evident. You know, <clears throat> when I think about, about what do I see in myself, and, and when you think about verses like where it says, the devils also believe and tremble, 
Why don't we believe and tremble? Why do, how do, we, why do we just see God as someone who is that loving grandpa up there and he's just doing everything for us? Um, <clears throat> the devils understand God. They know something about God that we don't want to believe. But if we take Scripture seriously, we're looking at it and we're saying, but this is how it is. This is what the Bible says. And I believe what God has to say. <clears throat> you know, the narrow way, it's, it's, a, it's a, a truth that is often missed and, and maybe not taught very much because we're focused on the gate. Well, yeah, that, in one sense, that's okay. But the scripture goes on. It, it's focused on the gate, which is Jesus. He said, I am the way. And so he's the gate. He's how we get in. He's how we get on the narrow way. <clears throat> but it goes on then, and it says the next verse uh, down, he says, he, he says, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. So, so this is, he, he's, talking, he's talking about the straight gate. But why does he jump down to that next verse? And then he he's, says, beware of false prophets. Well, it's because the false prophet is in the church. That's why he's, he goes from, and he, he, he's taking, when he's talking about the broad way, and he's saying many go in, and then he's the narrow way, well, there's a few that find it, and then the very next thing he says is beware of the false prophets. Well, I think that's there because this is how these people are deceived. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, they can, um, they can do a lot of things. You know, there are those out there that claim to be able to heal. Um, Ken Copeland says, if you send me, the more money you send me, the more I'll pray for you that you be healed. Really? That's not what my Bible says. It doesn't say anything about that. <clears throat> But you see, when people go to the idea of doing a miracle, of being some great one, you know, the pride that fills their hearts and comes out in that way, uh, and most of it is done for gain, um, <clears throat> they become wolves. And people follow them because they think they've seen a miracle most of the time those things are set up. Um, <clears throat> but then he goes on in the next in verse 16, verse 16 through 20, it gives us, uh, gives us the idea of, of fruit. So this is how we know who is the false prophet and who is the real prophet. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. 
A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth, for, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So this is how you know. He's saying, so here you have the false prophet. You have the true prophet. So maybe they can both do a miracle, um, so to speak. But does the life match chapter 5, chapter 6, the first half of chapter 7? What does his life look like? Is he there for gain? Or is he there because he loves the people? You see, there's a big difference. Um, The person who is there because he loves the people he's ministering to has a much different burden than the person who is there for personal gain. of his own making. Well, we, we know the analogy of, of fruit. You know, if I have an apple tree, I don't go there looking for peaches because I know he's gonna, that tree is going to have an apple. It's not going to have a peach on it. It doesn't work that way. <clears throat> now, sometimes we have, uh, at home, we had uh, uh, an apple tree, and we didn't take time to really take care of this tree growing up on the farm like we didn't really know how and my dad didn't didn't take time for it but we had a neighbor about a mile away that had probably 30 or 40 apple trees he took care of them well our apples sometimes they sometimes you get an apple that looked pretty nice and it's the warm so you spit it out but our neighbor he took good care of his trees and he had nice apples, and you didn't bite into his apples at getting a worm. They were nice apples, so they were good apples. Um, but he took care of the tree. And so you expected when you went to him and you bought apples from him, you expected them to be good, and they generally were. <clears throat> well, he's, he says here, we know them. we know them by their fruit. We know them by what they produce. And that's how we know who they are. Now, here's verse 21 to 23. Gives us kind of another side to verse 13 and 14. Or, well, maybe, maybe more of a conclusion, I guess we could say. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so it's a couple verses there. And it brings to us the scene of the judgment. And, and so verse 22 is giving us a glimpse of how the people in verse 13 are responding. He's, he's saying, we've done these things. Lord, I, I cast out devils. I prophesied. I, I did a lot of good things in your name. 
But did it make a difference? What did the fruit look like? Or was it kind of a mixed fruit? Sometimes good, sometimes not. Um, What did it look like? But here he says, so this, this is how they're going to respond is what he's saying. He said, this is the response of those that are talked about in verse 13. Well, you know, what's written in Scripture is the judge. God's not going to judge us for something that's not written in here. He, he has it all laid out. So sometimes we, somebody will say, well, you shouldn't judge because you don't know what's in my heart. We can't judge a book by what's on the cover. We don't know what's inside there if we haven't read it. <clears throat> in one sense, that might be true. But he says, by the fruit, we're going to know and understand who this person is. Uh, eventually, the real truth of, of their heart is going to, it's going to come out. And so, if we look at the response of our heart, what does the response of our heart look like? Um, you know, these people that is talking about here in verse 22, in a, in a sense we could say they were defensive of what, they had, of what had happened in their experience. Um, and they were trying to impress on God everything that they had done right. But, you know, the true believer doesn't come that way. The true believer says, but I have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not what I did. I can't do it on my own. Now, God can work in us. God works through us. That's up to him. But it's not what I've done. It's not what I can bring to the table. It's what he did. It's what he brought to the table that makes all the difference. But my Half and that is my response to it. And, and so it changes. Uh, a person's response is changed by the presence of the Spirit of God. And it no longer has that defensive note to it. But now it's saying, but God, here I am. And what do you want me to do? There's an openness there that isn't there otherwise. When the heart is closed, when we don't have that openness, it's because the Spirit of God is in our flesh or, or having a conflict. Um, or we don't want to be open sometimes. Sometimes we just want to close up. <clears throat> you know, the road that leads home is the road where Jesus opens the door and we walk on it. And that's evident by our lives, by how chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven are playing out on a day-by-day basis. You know, we sometimes hear the statement, not all roads lead to Rome. And there's this, a lot of teaching out there that says, oh, I'm going to, we're all going to the same place. you're, you're getting there your way, I'm getting there my way. Uh, I, I'm following the teachings of my religion and you follow the teachings of your religion and in the end we'll all be okay. Well, that's not what God says. 
He didn't say anything like that. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way. We can't find another way that's going to take us there. <clears throat> Let me think of now of a couple of verses in, in John 3 here. We'll just turn there quickly and read them. Uh, didn't put them in my notes here, but <clears throat> John 3, verse 5. He's talking to Nicodemus here. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The great contrast is there in that verse. <clears throat> Marvel not that I say unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And so, Jesus here is giving us the thought of, of uh, being born again. Now, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? So, he's, he's raising a question here. But, but Jesus had told us here, he says, I which is born of the flesh is flesh. So, whatever comes from the flesh, that's what it is. It's not, the spirit is not going to make uh, change it into something else. Uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the spirit is what changes us. And when the spirit of God is there, we become that good fruit that looks like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it changes us and makes us that type of a person. It's a continuing work in our hearts. <clears throat> the last couple of verses here in, uh, in chapter 7. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Again, it's a contrast of people who hear the word of God. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So we hear his sayings. We've been born again. He says, this is how it will play out. Now we also have the man who hears the sayings. He's going to church. He's there. He's listening. But he says, doeth them not. It's not playing out in his life. It's not working in his heart. And he says, this man, he's a foolish man, and he's built on the sand. Well, we know what sand does. Um, it's, a, it's a material that, well, you just don't want to build on it. Because if you build on sand and don't have a good foundation, it's not going to last very long. Soon going to start showing some cracks in the... In the after a bit, it's going to crumble. 
But the contrast of these two people, these two men, you know, one takes some time and uh, he goes through the hard work of building on the rock. That took an effort on his part. The man that built on the sand didn't put a lot of effort into it because that wasn't hard digging. He could easily do it. It didn't, it didn't really uh, take a whole lot of effort on his part. He could, he could you know, we, we all know what it is to dig in sand. Um, we've all done it where the sand is soft and, and uh, um, you know, so it's pretty easy digging and, and pretty soon we have, you know, whatever we want to make a uh, little sand castle or whatever, but if you dump water on it, what happens to it? Well, it all disappears. It all goes away again. <clears throat> Doesn't stay there because there's no foundation. There's nothing to keep that together. Um, you know, the foundation of Jesus Christ, and when, it, when our life is built on that foundation, it becomes built on a rock that is solid and that is going to last through eternity because it's built on what he's telling us here in this book. It's built on what he says and, and not on our own ideas. And our own ideas uh, sometimes feel good to us and we would like to think that we have it figured out. Um, <clears throat> or sometimes we might not say it this way, but you know, we kind of can, we can get this attitude where it's like, well, I have some inside track with God, and so it must be he favors me. Well, if we are his children, we do in a certain sense have an inside track with God, but not because of who I am, it's because of what he has done. Um, and that's what makes the difference. That which, that's what changes us. But it, it, of ourselves, we have no inside track. He's not favoring me above somebody else. You know, we can, we can adapt to that idea sometimes because he just makes us feel good and we like the thought of it. And, and so we want to go there. But it's a dangerous place to go. You know, there's, there's really nothing, I've said this before, in fact, I think I said it in Sunday school class this morning, there's nothing I can do that makes God love me more or makes him love me less. He's always the same. Now, I can choose to change. I can choose to walk with him, talk with him, spend time with him in prayer, be in communion with him. I know him, he knows me. I can make that choice, or I can choose to, well, this feels good to me, so this is what I'm doing today. Um, this is how I'm going to respond to that, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. You know, sometimes, sometimes we f get faced with situations where if we do what our flesh wants to do, you know, we'd be like, well, I'm going to take it out on him. To do what I can to get even with him, uh, you know. Well, that's really not, you know. Then, then after a couple minutes, we kind of come back to reality, and it's like, oh, but that's not what God would want me to do. 
That's not the response of the believer. The response of the believer comes from a heart of love for God. It comes from knowing God, walking with Him, talking with Him. And, and when we walk and talk with God and we have that connection, we know Him and He knows us, we respond a lot differently than if we're just doing our own thing because it's, it, this is what suits me the best at the moment <clears throat> and making a decision on that basis. So my challenge to us this morning is, I guess summing up these verses in, in uh, am I walking with God? Is he the center of my life, the center of my heart? Is he everything to me? Or do I have other things that I like or would like to do? I know we can follow an easy path. We can follow an easy religion. They're all out there. There's many of them out there. And some that are deceptive because of of some of, their, of the way they come at some things. Um, but the real, you know, the real test of a leader is, does he love his people? Does he really care about the people that he's responsible for? Or is he there for gain, his own good, what he can get out of it? Um, you know, and it makes, it makes, all the difference um, in how we look at those things, you know. I, uh, um, it's just, it's just uh, when you look at, at what he says there in verse 15. He says he, he taught, he's talking about the straight way and the broad way, the narrow way, and then he the very next thing he says is false prophets. He's really telling us there's so many teachers out there that don't really care about you. And, and so they become responsible for people believing they're on their way to heaven, but really aren't. But the real challenge to us is who we are today. Do I walk with him? Do I talk with him? Does he talk to me? Do I hear his voice? <clears throat> if I'm not hearing him speak to me, it's because I'm not seeking him. <clears throat> you know, verse 28 and 29 is, is kind of an interesting conclusion. It's not Jesus' words, but it's an interesting conclusion. He says, and it came to pass, so this is the response. When Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So, it was a change to the people, and they looked at the doctrine that he taught, and it seems to say, this is different. Well, it's because he came to change hearts and lives. That's why it was different. But it was the, the response of the people was, was, it was interesting, and, and I'm sure going from an Old Testament idea and setting and the way of doing things and sacrificing to to the idea of, 
of uh, responding to the Spirit of God was certainly two different things. Which is the reason they were astonished at his doctrine. But I just, I just when I looked at those verses, it was kind of an interesting conclusion, the response of the people. The challenge to us then is, what is my response to, to these teachings? Uh, am I responding um, because I love him? Am I responding? My response looks like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because he's in my heart. He's working in my heart. He's doing that work, or am I responding out of just my habit? Uh, I'm just going to church because it's Sunday. Um, you know, we can, we can do a lot of things because we've always done them, maybe not wrong in and of themselves, but it doesn't change it. It doesn't save us. The only thing that changes us is when Christ is in our hearts and he's changing us day by day, and we're responding to him. We're walking with him, we're hearing him, and he's walking with us, and, and our communion is back and forth. Well, that's because we love him. We're making that choice, and we're responding to him in that way. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we just come to you. Oh God, we are needy people. And it is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus that we can find rest, that we can find peace, that we can find direction and uh, a way of life. I just pray, oh God, that each person here could respond to your heart, to your voice, to your call. Lord, you've told us in your word that many who hear the word are not going to respond to it. So I pray, O oh God, that each person in this room who has heard your word this morning could respond to it and allow the Spirit of God to change his heart and life. Allow the flesh to die and allow you to be in control. Lord, I just pray that your Spirit would move among us and that you would be faithful in speaking to our hearts where there are needs. Touch our hearts and mold us and shape us to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.